This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Knowledge of Wharton here on Sirius XM 132, business radio powered by the Wharton School. You know, the A380 Super Jumbo by Airbus, the largest uh, commercial uh, jetliner in the country, it was supposed to revolutionize commercial air travel. Instead, just 14 years after its first test flight, it is being phased out. The A380 was built to respond to Boeing's 747 But whereas the 747 carried around 470 passengers, the A380 could hold upwards of 600. Airbus had a customer base that included 13 different carriers from Europe, China, Australia, and the Emirates, but sold none in the United States. But between changing patterns by customers in air travel, as well as a push for more fuel efficiency with aircraft, there wasn't much future for this giant aircraft. Its fate was likely sealed earlier this month when Australian airline Qantas canceled a big order of the double-decker jets. The final A380 will roll off the assembly line in 2021. With more on this news, we are joined on the phone by Roger W. Clark, founding member of the Clark Law Group and also a visiting professor at Rutgers University Law School where he teaches aviation law. And also with us is Kenneth Button, a, pol- a public policy professor at George Mason University's Shar uh, School of Public Policy and Government. Great to have you both uh, with us today. Thank you, Roger. Thank you, Ken. Great to talk to you again. Good to talk to you, Dan. Thank you. Great to have you both with us. Uh, So I guess, Roger, surprised that this move is being made uh, by Airbus at all? Well, 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 Dan, I'm uh, I'm, I'm disappointed in the Beatles, uh, John, Paul, George, and Ringo, because they told (laughs) us and have told us for all these decades that all you need is love. And if all you needed was love, the uh, 380 would be flying forever because uh, (laughs) it, it probably has the most comfortable ride. It's silent. It's a very stable platform. Uh, you have an incredible amount of room inside, um, bars up in the first class, you have showers. It, you know, it, it's a passenger paradise, uh, and there really is no other ride like it. Uh, but since the Beatles misled us, you do need more than love. You need, uh, you know, the financial security, you need a profit on it. And and the 380, through various types of uh, market forces, um, came probably at the wrong time. There were uh, market misforecasts as well. Uh, you know, Airbus was predicting that uh, by 2020 there should be about uh, uh, you know 1,500 of these very large a- aircraft flying, uh, and they thought that they would have about 750 to 800 of these 380s in the air uh, by now. Uh, the number actually delivered is less than 300, and, and unfortunately, it uh, was a market misforecast. Even though the passengers love it, Ken, your thoughts? Well, I'm pleased to hear those showers and bars in first class. I've never actually been there. Um, (laughs) But uh, I think it was a serious misforecast in many, many ways. Um, To make money these days on long-haul transportation, you normally need to to carry both cargo and passengers. And one of the huge, huge problems with a 380 is that it's not a cargo plane and is very difficult to convert. And in fact, they've never converted one. Whereas a 747, its main competitor, 
is still continuing in production in the cargo version because it's ideally suited to that as well as passengers. It was not simply they misforecast uh, the types of plane. They misforecast the, 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 well, not sure they misforecast, they misjudged the type of uh, traffic which is growing. Cargo is growing at about a third as fast again as passenger transport. So you've got a plane that can't carry economically and uh, it, it costs a lot to run. How, how much of an expectation was there even considered, Ken, going back in time of using this as a cargo plane? Well, I once had lunch to drop a few names with the president of uh, Air France and KLM uh, one day in Paris, and Air France was buying one. So I asked the president why he was buying one. He simply used one word, politics. Okay, okay. That explains it uh, quite a bit. Uh, So I guess, Roger, when you're talking about the life expectancy of a plane, especially when you're talking about uh, the commercial side, uh, what normally is the ballpark that you want to see a plane have for its life? Well, and this is important, you know, statistic, you know, particularly with the uh, leasing, commercial leasing world, because uh, probably 30, 40, 50, maybe even 60 percent of the uh, worldwide commercial aviation fleet is leased. And and these are uh, metrics that are very important to the leasing industry. But, you know, you would hope to get uh, 10 to 15 years out of a primary lease, and you'd probably release it after that. But but that being said, uh, you know, it's really hard to come up with an average because some airplanes are very successful uh, and find their niche market. You know, you take the uh, a classic, uh, you know, like the DC-3, uh, which flew in the 1930s. There were about 14,000, 15,000 of those produced. There's still six or seven or 800 of them still flying uh, in, in productive use. Uh, you know, you look at the Boeing 707, uh, which first flew in the 1950s, and and there's still military variants applying in the United States. It's you know used as a as a, re, a refueler, uh, and and then you have an aircraft like uh, you know the 380, um, and it's only been in the air for uh, barely a decade, and and it's already being retired. Uh, so so there's a number of factors that you know come into play, and and uh, you know Airbus suffered the the, the same. Um, commercial failure with its uh, Airbus 340 line, uh, which was a four-engine airplane, and, and they shut that uh, uh, production line down in uh, four or five, you know, five years ago, also having to take a big write-off. So, Ken, then the bottom-line impact for Airbus making this move is what? Because they invested, what, upwards of $20 billion in this? Well, you're never quite sure where the money came from and how it went through the system. So yeah. when you say they... Uh, that's an interesting word to use. True, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I imagine they're probably, uh, they've written a lot of this off now. I mean, one of the big problems, just coming back to your few, uh, previous question also, is the planes that have been successful have been very, very flexible. The trouble with the 380 is, is the extreme of an aircraft range. You can't sort of use it for smaller routes, and there aren't the bigger routes growing. So the, the, the planes which are successful and the ones you make your money from are ones which you can continually evolve, change, and modify, stretch, um, or whatever else. Planes like the uh, uh, 737, for example, which has also been around a long time and, and earned a lot of money. When you go for a specialized plane like the Concorde or a specialized plane like the 380, you are really risking an awful lot on basically one type of market. Roger? Yeah, and, and, and that, that's true. And, you know, you look at... Uh, 
the overall impact of the cancellation, what what it means um, to uh, to Airbus uh, long term is, is is marginal. In fact, when it announced the cancellation of the program, that stock price actually went up. Uh, <laughs> but you, but the probably nine ninety uh, percent of the airplanes that Airbus sells are in the you know the Airbus three twenty range, which is a narrow body, and a uh, three fifty, which is their you know wide body um, uh, jet. They and, and Airbus sells. Uh, Close to a thousand commercial uh, airplanes a year. Interestingly, that you know the, the benefactor of this may be Boeing, uh, in in some ways because uh, with the 380 coming off the market, uh, Boeing has coming. Uh, uh, it's going to fly for the first time uh, within weeks uh, of our uh, speaking here of the triple seven nine X, which uh, is a new uh, wide body, uh, a variant of the triple seven, but it's being stretched and widened a little bit. That uh, will uh, have the capacity in a you know traditional uh, three class international configuration to carry about four hundred twenty five or you know passengers thereabout, and and that's going to make it the uh, uh, the biggest pat by passenger count air, air, uh, aircraft commercial aircraft. You know, flying uh, when its uh, when its commercial deliveries begin in a year or two. So, you know, those uh, airlines that may have been going for the 380 uh, will, will probably now be looking at the triple seven nine X because it is specifically designed to be more fuel efficient. Yeah. Uh, you know, Emirates was pushing Airbus and, and Rolls Royce, the engine manufacturer, to you know try to make improvements uh, to right. get more efficiency. And and Rolls Royce and Airbus refused to make the additional capital investment. So uh, that's you know one of the reasons that it, uh, Emirates uh, pulled the uh, plug on the order for the last thirty nine of those aircraft. Eight four four Wharton is the number to give us a call. Eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio one thirty two or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney twenty one. Joined by Roger W Clark and Kenneth Button. Uh, I guess Ken, the 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 fact of the fuel efficiency is, is an important component here, especially with how so many airlines. Uh, went through uh, obviously a rough time when we saw the uh, the economic downturn uh, globally. They have really worked hard to try and get their bottom lines uh, as sharp and as tight as they possibly can. And when you have a plane that is not as fuel, it doesn't have as good fuel economy as another one. The the options are probably fairly simple. Yeah, I mean, but fuel economy is per passenger, or per ton, or whatever. It's not for your total plane, and it depends what your load factors are and various other things in terms of uh, the bottom line, because the bottom line, of course, is revenue minus cost. Right. We tend to focus on cost, and the big problem with the airline industry during the Great Recession, like many sectors, was a declining demand um, and trying to fill seats, so you got less revenue. But you're absolutely right. Um, the airline industry is becoming very efficient. Uh, uh, airline aircraft, uh, on average... Uh, increase if you buy a new aircraft year on year they get one percent more efficient each year and you can often put that technology retrospectively into some aircraft and this is what the airlines are looking for they want fuel economy they want reliability but they also want in particular aircraft which uh, fit into their network uh, systems and that's the other problem we've not mentioned with the 380 uh, you get quite a lot of downtime because uh, of the nature of the network it serves. It's a, it's a not a very good idea and never was. But yes, you're absolutely right. We are concerned with uh, fuel efficiency and Boeing market a lot of their planes specifically on that that particular feature. Was there an expectation then, do you think, that, that Emirates, 
being one of these uh, these big uh, Middle East airlines, would have been one of the ones to to want to have an A three eighty, especially if they were going to be trying to open up uh, routes coming to the United States. Well, they got yeah, they they they're the sort of people that push for it originally, and they probably wanted to retain it, but only only by enhancing fuel efficiency. Right. Um. And and the markets are different now. When you fly to the states, there's a lot of gateways into America which are used, and it ditto when you fly to Europe or the Middle East or well from the Middle East to Asia. Um. It's not all going to the major hubs anymore. The world has changed quite considerably. And that's what Boeing was actually banking on. And that's what their forecast told them would happen. Airbus didn't get their forecast right, as I said earlier. Roger? Well, it, it, it's a good point. And, and part of what we're alluding to here is is, is the political environment and the impact that that has. Uh, you know, Airbus with the 380 uh, was banking on the traditional, uh, you know, a hub and spoke. Uh, 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 you know, uh, model the protocol, and the 380 came on board just as when Open Skies really began to kick off. Mm. And, and right. what, what Open Skies is is basically is a, is a you know an international political environment where uh, many of the world's countries agree to open up uh, their airspace to uh, market dynamics as opposed to trying to control. Uh, the entry and the routing and the landings and the takeoffs based on you know a political allocation, and 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 so once uh, you know Europe and and of course the United States have open skies and most so many other countries now are in this open sky environment and what what that means and why it's bad for a program like the 380 is is that now you can fly uh, more often uh, to to more destinations, uh, eliminating that reliance on the hub and spoke you know program. Uh, so, so that was a political thing that uh, you know I think Boeing w- was anticipating Airbus. I think anticipated you know the wrong way, and that was one of the nails that went into the coffin of the 380. Now, now th- th- there's something you know else that's at, you know at play here because you know uh, there, w- there was a, about a four billion uh, dollar maybe euros a uh, dollar in terms of developmental cost mm. uh, that mo- went to the 380, uh, and this has been a con- source of contention between the United States and. Uh, Europe, you know, through its, uh, you know, uh, know, through its uh, principles, you know, Boeing and Airbus, because that $4 billion uh, wasn't made, at least according to the allegation of the Americans, on a a commercially reasonable basis. Right. Uh, Because uh, nothing was to be paid until Airbus began to make a profit on a per aircraft, and then once the aircraft are no longer sold, no further monies are owed. And then the loan is forgiven. So you're basically uh, being indemnified against your loss. Now, uh, you know, the WTO ruled last year that that was unfair competition and that uh, Boeing was entitled to damages or sanctions. And now with the cancellation of the 380, the the folks at uh, Airbus are already gearing up to argue that there are no damages or sanctions due because the WTO always looks to the future. Uh, for losses and assessments, so it may bring to an end the WTO, WTO program that awarded uh, sanctions in favor of uh, Boeing. Ken, your thoughts? No, that's what I was actually alluding to earlier when yeah. you asked about the actual costs and the implications to uh, to Airbus. It's a com- quite a complicated financial situation on both sides of the Atlantic. You have other stories, of course, if you sit in Europe and you hear about uh, military subsidies and so on to Boeing. But we're talking here about a firm legal decision. And I know I'm not a lawyer. I'm not quite sure what the implications are, but certainly implications are there. 
844-WHARTON is the number to give us a call, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. So, so, Ken, how do you think then this – I mean, obviously Boeing is going to be, uh, to a degree, happy that one of their rivals is taking their biggest uh, plane off of the market. But then again, it wasn't a big seller to begin with. How does Boeing view this move by Airbus in terms of their structure of what they're doing with their business? Well, the, the, their structures – the structure is set in train for a number of years. So it's all about long-term strategy and planning. Right. You know, the orders of planes uh, come in and the orders for 15 years in advance from now. The point about uh, Airbus is, of course, that if you start cutting back on, well, get rid of the 380, that releases resources for other production. That may allow speeding up as production of existing models. Uh, there are some... Uh, there's always some bottlenecks in these production lines for different planes. It may allow development and refinements of existing planes to take place more rapidly. There's a whole lot of options out there which Airbus have got to, to consider and confront. One assumes that this decision was made with, within a larger strategic plan. So Boeing has got to somehow double-guess what Airbus will do and uh, therefore adjust its uh, strategy accordingly. I suspect Boeing have had a pretty good idea this was going to happen for a while, and uh, I've been you know, thinking ahead with the developments with 777, uh, uh, 787, and so on. Um, it's a big business developing new aircraft, and it's very nice for Boeing to have a flexibility in the line they've got to modify and change. Um, and I think they'll play that game rather than rush in and try and produce some you know, world-leading aircraft to replace what's available. Roger? The uh, you know making market forecast uh, fifteen out fifteen years out in the future is not you know for the faint of heart and, <laughs> yeah. and uh, particularly yes. when you're dealing with with the capital investments and developmental cost. Uh, you know now the folks who are really good at forecasting the market fifteen out fifteen years out in the future are the uh, single malt distillers. Uh, you know they, they they produce a lot of fifteen year old scotch. They put it in the cask in fifteen years. There's always a demand for it. They do quite well. All right, but when it comes to commercial aircraft, it's a very frightening environment. Roger, now, I, Roger, I think you're saying your crystal ball is a little foggy right now? That's a little foggy. Okay, all right. That's what I thought. Okay. But, but you know, both, both Boeing are, and, and Airbus are bullish on the, you know, the future yeah. of the commercial market. And, and uh, you know, there's currently now about 20,000 uh, air, air, give or take, uh, commercial aircraft flying. And, yeah. and over the next 15 to 20 years, both Airbus and Boeing are forecasting that market to go up to 40,000. You know, they're, they're predicting 1,500 to 2,000 commercial jet aircraft a year to be sold over the mm -hmm. next several several decades now now 70 percent of those are somewhere between two-thirds and three-quarters are expected to be narrow-bodied uh not 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 the wide-bodied and and you know you know for example uh, there was just announced uh, just a few hours ago that uh, viet jets uh, uh you know a private uh, vietnam airline intends to sign an order for 100 uh, you know 737 maxes next week when uh, you know mm -hmm. president trump is in hanoi uh, Go ahead, Ken. I was just going to interrupt there and say, of course, we're assuming the Chinese don't get their their act together with well, these narrow-bodied jets. Well, and that that would be something else I wanted to touch on, Ken, is that we, in the in the scope of all of these orders that may be coming in in the next few years, 
How many of them potentially are for actually, uh, they're all for new aircraft, but how many of them are replacing old aircraft and how many of them are adding to existing inventory that, uh, that, uh, that an airline may have? Well, the replacement, planes seem to live forever these days. The airframe continues. I mean, we got you really don't want to know how old a plane is when you get on it these days. You'd be frightened. Um, but there, there is a, a, obviously uh, the, a stock of planes there. A lot of those planes are quite new. There's been quite a lot of building recently and new ones coming online. But I do think that the, the, the crucial factor is we've only got two players in the market. Yeah. The market is profitable. The market's growing. Um, both India, who's got some interest in this, and China uh, want to start moving into the larger commercial aviation market. They, they sort of dabble in regional jets and things. When I'm talking about the, the bigger planes, I think the interesting thing to, to think about is what happens if you get three players in the market. Ken, uh, but, but Roger, I'll get your comment in a second. I just want to let you know, Ken, that as soon as you said that, don't think about the uh, the age of a plane. All three of us here in the studio are like, great, that's the next thing I'm going to think about the next time I fly. So thank you, Ken. I appreciate that. R- Roger, give us your thoughts on 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 what this means for the 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 mix, the change of the mix of planes within uh, within uh, air, the airline industry. What and and you and you're already seen it, uh, you know, in the past year because going to the other uh, end of the spectrum of commercial jet aircraft, uh, you've seen these joint ventures between Airbus and Bombardier, the uh, you know Canadian manufacturer of uh, you know regional jets. Uh, you know, and we're t- no, when we're talking about regional jets, we're talking about uh, uh, passenger seating ranging from about 50 to maybe up to 150 seats, which is right. and it's just below the 737 or the you know the uh, Airbus 320. And, and then you know Boeing, you know, is joint ventured with Embraer, the Brazilian manufacturer, and and, and you know Boeing and, and, and Airbus are both predicting you know six to seven, eight thousand regional jet sales in the next uh, probably fifteen to twenty years. So there's huge growth in, in this uh, regional jet yeah. market. Uh, but those profits in, in that range are not, uh, you know, what they are on the big, bigger jets, and uh, uh, which is forcing a lot of this consolidation. But but you know the the developmental cost can still be as much on a big sure. jet, uh, you know, and it, you know it can cost six, seven, eight billion dollars to develop a you know regional jet. Now, Delta just uh, began uh, flying the Airbus uh, 220, which is the uh, product of the uh, merger with Bombardier, um, and it's uh, is taking a delivery of 70, uh, 75 of those aircraft, uh, you know, in the next year or two. So so the, there's there's a healthy market there. So, so you, you, you've seen a lot of flying. Uh, you know, people are going to uh, 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 the industry is under a lot of pressure to get away from the uh, continue to get away from the hub and spoke because of the continued you know increase in passenger traffic, four to five percent per year. You know, JFK, Philadelphia, you know, Logan. It can only take so many landings, you know, per per day. So you need to uh, uh, find other locations, uh, you know, as well where that are convenient to the passengers and. And uh, and have point-to-point service, but Ken, I, I guess to a degree, then this move by Airbus to to mothball the A380 will have an impact on kind of the core operations of Airbus. And I'm thinking specifically of there could be some people that that were working specifically on that project that will either get moved to other projects or potentially would lose their jobs. Well, yeah, that's inevitable. It's uh, uh, Airbus is a European venture and. Uh, uh, although the assembly is usually around Toulouse, places like Hamburg um, actually have quite a, a large uh, interest in, in construction development of the uh, Airbus planes, and there's going to be some impact in the uh, in the uh, aviation 
construction sector. But of course, as we've been hearing, the sector's growing very rapidly. So, yeah. uh, and the jobs are interchangeable in a sense. I mean, if you've got a particular skilled job in construction and aircraft, it doesn't make much, take much effort to retrain you to do uh, you know, other jobs, uh, very similar jobs. Uh, these days, it's mass production. It's not sort of individual craftsmanship, although there's quite a lot of craftsmanship in it. But um, I, I don't think it's going to really hit the labor market too much. Um, it may have some minor impact. But Airbus is, you know, it's going to take a while for it to be phased out and so on. It, it, they've got to make spare parts. You can't just ha- have the existing fleet flying around without some spares. It's not going to be too dramatic in that sense, I don't think. Roger? Well, Qantas uh, announced, I think it's got 12, 15 copies of the 380, and, uh, you know, they've gone on record uh, and uh, by saying that uh, we plan to fly the 380 uh, for the indefinite future. And, and uh, you know, other some of the other airlines that have acquired the 380 probably feel that, you know, the same way. Uh, certain routes uh, are, are well fitted for the 380, and that works well for Qantas, which flies those long trans-Pacific, you know, routes. Uh, so the Airbus is going to be around uh, in in some way, flying passengers probably uh, for another ten to fifteen uh, years. But I think that the final takeaway, if if you want to uh, fall in love with the aircraft and you haven't flown on it yet, you probably would fly it sooner rather than wait too long before you buy a ticket. Ken, quickly, how how much can potentially Bombardier maybe continue to make an impact in this industry, especially if it is growing the way that you guys both say? Bombardier, the small producer uh, aircraft. Yeah, uh, the the market there seems to be um, in the sort of just as we heard earlier, just below the seven three seven level. Yeah, um, particularly planes actually uh, many routes of, which carry ninety nine passengers. Yeah, the reason being is to save on a cabin crew. Right, that's <laughs> it's a, yeah, a that's minor true, yeah. trivial thing in a sense, but uh, not for an operator. Oh, they'll survive, but their margins are lower, and it's becoming very competitive at the bottom. This is where the Chinese and Indians and other manufacturers are coming into the market they they can they've got the r&d for it and they can produce them more cheaply great having you both with us today uh, gentlemen roger ken uh, enjoy your weekend thanks very much for your thanks. time today as always dan thank you for more insight from knowledge at wharton please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu 